Hey guys, welcome to episode 19 of The Daily Churn. This is the first episode of season two. Seasons I'm sort of just splitting between years. So season two now is 2022, season one being 2021. And it's sort of just a way for me to take a little bit of a break between the seasons. But yeah, I took a little bit of a break in January. Nothing too crazy. Checked out the Merville Berkshires, which is a Hyatt property. And in my opinion, I think actually a better use of points than the Ventana Big Sur. But I'll save that potentially for uh, for a future episode. But yeah, the break was nice. And uh, this week we are back with a recap of January. So all the things I churned in January, a bit of everything really, just the standard, you guys know the drill, credit cards, banks, brokerages, a couple miscellaneous things that I haven't talked about in a while, but meal kits, a little update on HM Bradley and Square and some cell phone things. And let's see what else. Oh, a new one for this month, which I haven't churned before. I don't even know if this qualifies as churning. But health insurance, so that's that's a new one, and I'll get to that at the the end of this episode. But for now, let's dive in with credit cards. Pretty good month for credit cards. My P2's Southwest Companion Pass posted in January, so that was great. And what I did there was a few months ago, I'd opened a performance business card and a premier business card for my P2, my wife, and that was for 100k points and 60k. And with some clever timing, they both posted at the beginning of January for 170,000 miles total, because it was like another 10,000 miles for the spend. And that instantly triggers the companion pass to post. So that was nice that it all worked out as, as planned. And that's good for two more years. And the way I sort of value the companion pass and, and Southwest points is that companion pass essentially doubles the amount of Southwest points you get because you can now book two flights for the price of one. And so that 170,000 points are really worth 340,000 points if you were to book those flights individually. And so 340,000 points roughly estimated at 1.3 cents per point is like $4,400, which is amazing value from just two credit cards. And yeah, that easily pays for our travel, I think, for the next couple of years. And it's sort of just been the cycle I've been doing since 2014, I think. Uh, I did an episode on this a while back, but essentially I've been churning the Southwest Companion Pass every two years for, I think, over eight years now. And yeah, that's how we've been funding a lot of our travel and uh, plan to do it for the foreseeable future. So that was the big one. The other card I've been sort of focusing on lately is the Capital One Venture X card. And I realize all the blogs are pretty much gushing over it already. So I won't repeat all of that and the benefits and stuff. But I can give an example of why I ended up getting it and how I'm planning on using it, which was primarily for the VRBO Airbnb benefit. Because the unique thing with the Venture X card, which is different from most of the other travel cards that give points, is that you can directly use those points against travel that you've charged beforehand. So if you charge, let's say, $1,500 for an Airbnb, you can then retroactively, and I think you have 90 days to do this, go back in and apply your points, or I guess miles, towards that to essentially offset it and get a credit on your statement. And that was appealing to us because we have a ton of Amex and Chase and Hyatt points and all that stuff already. But there isn't really any card that helps us offset 
like the inevitable Airbnb or VRBO trip that we end up taking each year. And so that plus the fact that right now the VentureX card is giving that $200 Airbnb VRBO bonus on top of the 100,000 miles essentially makes that like $1,200 worth of Airbnb or VRBO credit. Then factoring in the spend that you have to put on the card to get the 100,000 points, I think you have to spend $10,000 and minimum is two points per dollar. So that's one of the nice things about the card too, is that every dollar is getting two points. You're also going to get 20,000 points for spending that $10,000. And so 120,000 Capital One points is worth $1,200. So it's actually $1,200 plus the $200 VRBO benefit. Then on top of that, they have a offers section, which is very similar to how other credit cards do it, but their offers actually are different. Like whereas Chase and Bank of America, they all seem to be sourcing from the same third party who's providing these offers. So there's a lot of overlap. Capital One seems to at least be getting some offers that I haven't seen elsewhere, or in some cases are better than other places. But the unique one is that they're giving 5% back on VRBO purchases. Like if you spend $1,500 on a VRBO booking, 5% off of that is $75. So that's essentially an, an additional $75 that you're going to get when you book VRBO through Capital One. So all of that tallied together on our $1,500 VRBO booking, it ends up only costing $25 because you're getting that $75 off the $1,200 that you can credit against the booking, the $200 bonus. So you end up only paying $25 out of pocket, but you do have to pay that $395 annual fee. So if you add that together, it's $420 for a $1,500 booking. But then on top of that, the card is also offering a $300 travel portal credit. So you have to book using the Capital One travel portal, which usually I hate booking through travel portals, but it does support rental cars. And when we go on Airbnbs or VRBO vacations, we usually end up renting a rental car anyway. And generally, I can get them pretty cheap doing the national workarounds that I also covered on a previous episode. But in some cases, it is just cheaper to like rent through Dollar or Thrifty or something. And in this case, yeah, it's like a $300 rental car credit on top of the fact that we only paid $420 for a $1,500 VRBO booking. So overall, it's in my opinion, pretty amazing for that use case. But obviously, if you never book Airbnbs and VRBOs, it's not as interesting, I think, given how much spend. The nice part about the spend, though, is that you have six months to complete it. And the 90-day time frame for reimbursement is super nice because we just booked um, our VRBO vacation a few days ago, even though we hadn't met the spend yet. And now we have the next couple months to meet the spend. And as long as we do it within that 90 day time frame, we can still get a credit towards that VRBO, even though we haven't gotten the bonus yet. And from the data points I read online, the bonus posts within like a day or two, or really quickly, at least from when you meet the spend. The other interesting thing I stumbled across with Capital One is now that I'm signed up and in their portal and stuff, I was checking out their offers and they do have some unique ones. Specifically, they have Green Chef, Home Chef, HelloFresh and Blue Apron offers. And so other credit cards have offered those in the past, but they've sort of kind of disappeared. But Capital One had all of them and they were better than some of the previous ones I'd gotten with like American Express 
or Chase. And that was super interesting to me because uh, as you guys may or may not know, my wife and I have pretty much lived on meal kits since early 2020 when the pandemic started. We've been ordering meal kits for a good two years. Like the beginning of 2022, this year was sort of when we tapered off and we're like, okay, we can kind of wean off the meal kits now and do it ourselves. But during those past two years, we were getting them for super cheap due to all these signup offers stacked with all these statement credits. But recently the statement credits have kind of dropped off, but lo and behold, Capital One, they were all there and definitely sort of sucked me back in because I ended up spending like an hour on a Sunday and just signed up again for all of those using new accounts. And it was worth it because after the stack, these meal kits end up being almost free. So I have a like little tally of how many like free meals we just signed up for. So signed up for Green Chef and that came with four meals and that retails for $113. But as a new member with a new email account, you get 50% off of that plus free shipping. And Capital One is giving a $40 statement credit. So all in all, it ends up being $10 for four of those Green Chef meals. Then Blue Apron, four Blue Apron meals. Again, you get a discount for being a new member. Then Capital One was giving a $30 statement credit. So it ended up being, again, around $10 for four Blue Apron meals. Then HelloFresh, $30 off through Capital One, plus the new member sign up ends up being about $10. Same with Home Chef, three Home Chef meals. New member offer plus $23 off through Capital One ends up being about $10. So sign up for those four services and I essentially staggered them by a week. So like next week we have Green Chef coming, then we have HelloFresh, then Blue Apron, then Home Chef. And that's actually sort of the order that I like those services. Like Green Chef is the tastiest, HelloFresh next tastiest, Blue Apron pretty good, Home Chef kind of hit or miss sometimes. If you want to get really deep into all of this, definitely check out, uh, I think it's episode two, where I covered all of these meal kits. Um, but essentially, we ended up getting 15 dinners for two for a total of around $40, which for me, that's an amazing deal. I mean, I think even the Lean Fire folks would be pretty proud because Lean Fire, I think generally on the subreddit, people are trying to shoot for anywhere from a dollar to $3 per meal. And this ends up being $1.30 per person per meal, which is really good compared to how much we used to spend on food. I mean, in the past, it would be easily $30 for dinner on DoorDash or $50 if we ate out or $75 or $100 if we ate out and, and ordered alcohol, right? And so, yeah, I think we used to spend for 15 meals. I mean, if you just multiply that by like $100, which is sort of what we were paying, when we ate out 15 times 100 was $1,500 versus now we're paying $40 to cook for ourselves, but it is really delicious recipes. So I was pretty stoked to find these offers on Capital One, was not expecting it at all. And if you're trying to do the meal kit thing or you want to try it out, I think it's potentially another reason to, to sign up for the Venture X card. Like if somebody had told me beforehand that these meal kit offers were on the Capital One offer portal, I think I would have signed up for that VentureX card back in December or November when it came out. But yeah, definitely check it out and, and see what's on there. One thing to note too about the VentureX, which if you join using referral, the referrer gets 25,000 points, but only if you have not opened a Capital One card before. I'm not sure if you've opened and closed it, if then the referrer is eligible for the 25K. I think I read that it's just 
the fact that you've established the credit card relationship with Capital One means that the person referring you won't get the bonus. And so, yeah, my friend was a little bit bummed because I joined using my friend's referral link. And then I told him that, hey, I think I had a, a venture card before with Capital One. And um, yeah, I don't think he's getting that bonus. Sorry, Kevin. But assuming your referee qualifies, it's actually a pretty good bonus. It's 25,000 miles, which equals $250, which is pretty high for a referral, but they do cap it at just four of them. So you can only earn up to 100,000 miles. But yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll post my referral link on the dailychurnpodcast.com if you guys want to join using it. I'd really appreciate it. Definitely let me know so I can thank you. And if you have opened a Capital One card before, though, um, yeah, maybe just don't tell me about it and I'll be happy for a little bit. Moving on to banks, a couple bank bonuses finally posted. First one is Cabbage, which is an American Express company now. I think they either acquired Cabbage or have some kind of relationship because you, you log in to Cabbage using your American Express account. But that was a super easy one. It's only for businesses. So it was a business checking account and it was $300 for doing five transactions. And I just did five 50 cent Amazon reloads and it posted. So super easy in that sense. But my wife actually also tried to apply for a cabbage account with her business and was denied because she didn't have uh, an employer ID number, an EIN. And the reason she doesn't have one is because as a sole proprietor or a single member LLC, you can file those taxes using just your social security number. And so you don't have to do a separate like business tax return and stuff. So you can still apply for an EIN if you want to as a sole proprietor or a single member LLC, but it's not required. And we've opened Chase business checking accounts. We've opened other business related accounts using just your social security number because that's totally legit. But for Cabbage, for some reason, they kept messaging her being like, we need your EIN. We'd reply back being like, you don't need an EIN for these business types. They're like, we need an EIN. I mean, they would just keep sending that boilerplate uh, letter that says information required EIN. So in the end, we just let it lapse and uh, we didn't open one for her just because we didn't want the potential tax hassle of having an EIN because if you sign up for an EIN, I wasn't sure if that means you then need to file taxes separately for your business versus being able to do that in a combined tax return with your personal taxes. And so it just wasn't worth the 300, but pretty easy if you have an EIN and you, or you don't mind applying for an EIN. Then FNBO, which is I think First National Bank of Omaha. Uh, finally posted the $200 bonus. And I say finally because I opened that account back in August. So it's been six months. The only requirement to qualify for the bonus was to make two consecutive direct deposits from your employer payroll, which is always an issue for me because both my wife and I are now doing the lean fire thing. So we don't have real employer payroll. So I've been using Square and Square is nice in the sense that you can always justify that it is employer payroll because Square Payroll is employer payroll. The downside with Square Payroll is it sometimes doesn't trigger the automated posting of a bonus. So in the case of First National Bank, I'd posted two contractor payments from my Square account into the FMBO account and qualified that way, but the bonus didn't automatically post and it took 
two secure messages with some follow-ups and they even tried to call me once and I wasn't around so I went to voicemail but before I had a chance to call them back I got a message saying that my bonus had posted so Square paid off again in, in that sense because the risk always if you use some other bank as your quote-unquote employer payroll is that if it doesn't automatically trigger the bonus to post when you do these secure messages or phone calls to try and follow up you really have no way of justifying why your Capital One transfer should have been considered an employer payroll. Whereas with Square, you do potentially have to go through that extra effort of following up. But the rules, I guess, are always on your side because Square Up is the payroll branch of Square. And so very easily you can just be like, my employer uses Square Up to pay their employees. So this was definitely a legit payroll. Then also a couple updates on the bank side of things. HM Bradley, if you've been keeping up on, on DOC, has made some more changes, this time to undo some of the earlier changes, but by no means does it like nullify the negative impact of the previous changes. They just essentially made the whole credit card waiver of qualification thing a little easier to grasp, which is good because even I was struggling a little bit myself to figure out what exactly happens after you apply for a credit card. And essentially what it is now is that once you open the HM Bradley credit card, you'll qualify for the 3% tier. And for that next quarter, you don't have to do any direct deposits at all. So before you still had to do direct deposit, but you didn't need to hit their new $2,500 threshold, like a $5 direct deposit would have been fine. But that was confusing to people, myself included. And so now the rules are after you open a credit card for that next quarter, you don't have to do any dark deposit at all, which is great for me because I was using Square again to do those employer dark deposits and Square charges $5 a month to perform a contractor deposit. You can deposit as many times as you want, but you pay per contractor per month and it's $5. So now for the next uh, three months, I don't have to do that. And they also lowered it from $2,500 to be $1,500. So when I do have to go back into doing dark deposits again each month, I only need to square payroll myself $1,500, which for me really doesn't make a difference. You know, before these HM Bradley changes, I was square depositing $10. So now I'll just square deposit $1,500 and the money just essentially moves from my Chase account through Square to HM Bradley. And then once a quarter, I pull the money back from HM Bradley into Ally and redeposit it back into HM Bradley for liquidity. So I know that's kind of a complex chain and I don't want to bog down this episode by going into it, but the same method still applies that I covered in episode one for how to go about doing this. So even with the HM Bradley changes of requiring a credit card in order to qualify for the 3% tier, this whole method of using Square and pulling money out and pulling money in each quarter for liquidity, that all still works. So that's nice. And for us, the whole thing is fine. You know, I, I'm in multiplayer mode with my P2. And so using up a 524 slot on HM Bradley is not a big deal. And their other requirement, I think, is to spend $100 each month on the HM Bradley credit card, which for me just equals reloading Amazon for $100 each month, which again is, is no big deal. One thought I did have was that I'm not sure if HM Bradley still supports joint accounts. I think they do. And so I was wondering if you open a joint account from your account, would that joint account have its requirements met by the same credit card as 
the credit card you have tied to your main account. Because if it is true that one credit card will work for your main account and your joint account, then you essentially have double the capacity for parking cash from only having to open one credit card. So I'm not sure that was just something that came to my head, but if anyone knows, definitely leave me a comment and I'd be curious about that. Another honorable mention in the bank's kind of realm, it's not really a bank, but I-bonds. I think I mentioned in the previous recap that I'd bought I-bonds. So I bought $30,000 at the end of 2021 and bought another $30,000 at the beginning of 2022. I essentially moved money out of HM Bradley and bought I-bonds instead because they're offering 7.12%, which is pretty good. I wanted to mention them because I was just browsing Slick Deals a couple weeks ago and I-bonds are now trending on Slick Deals. It was literally on the front page of Slick Deals with hundreds or thousands of comments. So yeah, I think it's definitely hit mainstream at this point and it is still just a really good deal. It's a good hedge against inflation and it beats out any other interest-bearing account by far right now. So who knows how the inflation thing is going to look for the rest of the year, but for now it's not looking great. So again, if you need a place to park money that isn't H.M. Bradley because you don't want to open the credit card, definitely check out iBonds. You can do $10,000 per person. Then if you have a business, even if it's a sole proprietor, you can open accounts for those businesses and each account gets you another $10,000. All right, next up is brokerages. So a bit of a slow month for brokerages. I've been meaning to open another Charles Schwab account for my P2 because I've just got stocks parked at Chase, which isn't doing anything other than being in the market. So I may as well move them into another brokerage that earns a bonus. And just honestly, (laughs) I haven't gotten around to it yet. January is sort of kind of my lazy month, I'm realizing. So what did post though was $400 from Nadex for referrals, which was really surprising and very much appreciated. And the update on Nadex actually is per DOC comments, they've actually extended the sign up and referral bonuses. So for about a month there in January, the deposit portion of the bonus had lapsed. So it was only referral bonuses. And so what I mean by that is the bonus with Nadex is around $200. $100 of that is for depositing, I think, $1,000. And $100 of that is if you join using a referral code and you make five trades. And so the referral part was still active, but the $1,000 deposit had ended at the end of December. But looking at the comments on Doctor of Credit's Nadex thread, it seems they've reinstated the deposit bonus effective as of February 7th, which is Monday. So by the time you guys are listening to this podcast, the bonus should be fully reinstated. So yeah, if you're one of the few people who haven't signed up for Nadex yet, it's one of the easier brokerage bonuses. So definitely worth doing. And if you end up using my referral link, really appreciate it. It's been a huge boost on the brokerage side of things for me this past month. And on the topic of referrals, a few visible referrals came through as well. So I think during Black Friday, Visible was running an offer where if somebody signs up using your referral during that week of Black Friday, you'll get a $25 Amazon gift card in addition to just a regular referral bonus. And I guess that must have happened because I got a $25 Amazon gift card email from from Visible last month. So that was nice and unexpected. Then in terms of just the actual referrals, four of those 
came through in January. And essentially that gives me four months of $5 visible service, which is pretty good. And I tend to value those referrals then at about $15 because that's how much it saves me off of the visible monthly bill. And so for those times 15, $60 plus the $25 Amazon gift card equals $80, no, $85 from visible. Finally, there was a totally miscellaneous kind of a churn, which was that my wife and I had signed up for new health insurance at the beginning of January through ACA because due to lean fire, neither of us are employed right now anywhere that would offer health insurance. So we do have to sign up for our own health insurance through the portal, the exchange. And we signed up for Cigna and Cigna, once we logged in, was offering $250 in credits for doing some random things like completing a health assessment questionnaire and like watching a couple health videos. And so just for doing those two things, they sent us a $100 prepaid card, which you're supposed to use on healthy things, but they don't really define what those healthy things are. And it is just a prepaid, I think, Visa card. So we're just going to like, I guess, spend it on healthy-ish groceries. And you can get up to 250 though, if you do some other things like getting blood work done by a doctor, essentially they're just certifying or checking how healthy you are. So that was just totally unexpected, but it was a nice benefit because for us, $100 from Cigna, which is how much we got in January so far, offsets almost two months worth of healthcare premiums. Because one of the benefits of Lean Fire is that your income becomes extremely low. It essentially drops to zero, except for the amount you earn in your part-time job and the amount that you're like converting in, in your Roth IRA, et cetera. And so with that super low income, we qualified for health insurance that was only $50 a month for two of us with really good deductibles. I think it's a $0 deductible pretty low co-pays and $5,000 as our out-of-pocket max. So like as good, if not better than the health insurance my wife was getting through her employer before we fired. And it should have been $900 a month, but thanks to ACA with their subsidy, it gives an $850 subsidy. So we only out-of-pocket only pay 50 a month. So for folks thinking about fire and uh, wondering how health insurance works, yeah, it's pretty amazing. There's a lot of good articles online about that. And from a training perspective, though, we got the $100 from Cigna and there'll be another $150 in the future once we finish the other requirements. So tallying everything up, credit cards, no actual cash-based bonuses, but I did get the 170000 worth of Southwest and working on the Capital One bonus. Then banks got 500 from Cabbage and FNBO. $400 from brokerages through Nadex referrals, then $185 of just miscellaneous churns, like $85 from the visible referrals and $100 from Cigna for a total of $1,085 plus the 170,000 Southwest points, which I value at like $4,000, but I'm not going to convert that and, and muddy the, the cash tally. So $1,000 for the month, which is pretty good. My Rough goal each month is to get to a thousand and yeah, managed to hit just over a thousand for January. And it was a bit of a slow month in terms of how many things I churned. And so definitely plan on getting back into the swing of things for February. But yeah, that's it for the recap. I'll be back in the beginning of March for the February recap. And sometime during February, 
I plan to post another episode that's not a recap, something more of a deep dive. And right now, the hot topic on my mind is booking ANA, which is all Nippon Airlines. It's one of Japan's main airlines. Booking first class and business class seats on that airline because it is quite a process. But if you do it right, you can pretty much guarantee yourself a first class slash business class booking for a really, really low number of points. Probably one of the best point values out there, period, but especially for flight bookings. So yeah, definitely keep an eye out for that. It should be a pretty good episode. And one thing I'm trying a little differently this year is to be a bit more flexible with my podcasting schedule. So instead of it coming out every Monday or every Monday, every two weeks, it may be like a Wednesday or a Thursday, just to make things a little easier for me in terms of just recording and editing and, and posting these. So if you want to get updates on when these episodes get released, as well as a summary of the episode, you can always join the newsletter on the dailychurnpodcast.com. You can also subscribe on Spotify and iTunes, and that will notify you that way. But yeah, I'll catch you guys the next one. Thanks for listening. See ya.